You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Hello and welcome to Perth's favourite property show, The Perth Property Show itself. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. For today's episode, we are talking about smart home technology again and we are diving deep into home entertainment. We're talking about home theatres, lighting, audio, TVs, visual, all the connection that comes into watching our movies and listening to our music and entertaining people at home. To help us out, we've got Andrew Vaughan from Intelligent Home. Thanks for coming in again. Thanks, Trent. This has to be one of the coolest episodes that we're going to do. <laughs> it's always changing. I think this conversation five years ago will be just very different to the conversation five years from now. But today, where does it look? What is a normal service you're providing in terms of entertainment, audio visuals come in, where does that sit? Firstly, we'll look at you know, music. Music's really important to people. You know, having that music piped throughout a house, um, being able to easily control it from your phone or a tablet's convenience. If something's not easy to use, some um, people don't use it. So we sort of look at you know, the areas around the house and how we're going to integrate the music in uh, so it's seamless and so it's nice and simple. Are people um, still putting their speakers in the ceilings? Still doing that. Yep, yep. So no, a lot of people will just carry a speaker out with them, whether it be a, a Wi-Fi controlled speaker they plug into a PowerPoint or whether it be a little Bluetooth speaker that runs on a battery. You but see a few very powerful Bluetooth speakers running around these days. You do. Yeah. How do they stack up to the full-on systems? So the difference is what you can do with them. So your Bluetooth speakers are about going from your phone or a tablet direct to that speaker. Sound quality on them can be very good. The downside is that if your phone rings, well, it will ring through the speaker. If you get a notification, it will ding through the speaker, mm. which is an ideal if you're entertaining. And if you've got a big house, well, you're still just going to that one speaker. Whereas the Wi-Fi sort of smarter products now, it's about being able to use your phone as a controller and go out to numerous speakers throughout the house, having the same thing everywhere, if you like, at different volume levels or having different music in different areas because wow. you know, some people might want to watch TV while someone else wants to listen to music in another room. Well, we've got Toto um, Africa out in the sitting area and yeah. we're listening to Britney Spears in the kitchen. <laughs> Correct, yeah. Who yeah. doesn't want to do that? Oh, I know, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I think of this space, I always think of the brand Sonos. Yes. Can you explain that and also explain the competitors out there in that space and where it might be going. Sure. Uh, so Sonos were one of the first well players on the market many years ago now that uh, created uh, a wireless system where you could play music in different rooms. Prior to smartphones even being released, they had their own controller so you could you know still control your music library because the internet music services weren't a thing there. Internet radio perhaps to other rooms. Over the years, people, you know, other companies sort of looked at that space and you know, saw the, the growing opportunity. So you've got companies like Denon, you know, they created something something called the HEOS system. You've got Yamaha that have their music cast system. You've got products like Blue Sound, which are an audio sort of specialist brand. Are they all doing the same things where you buy one speaker, they're a bit costly, and you think, oh, we can buy the next one next year, and they all start to hook up to each other in a chain? Yeah, correct. So you stick with a product family, and then if they're all within that family, they can all talk to each other, and you can buy more products over time as you sort of grow with a house or as your needs change. They can all talk to each other. Are you integrating these into the ceiling as well? Do they have those products where we can have them not just on their own? Because whenever I see a Sonos system, 
at least it's just the sound bar sitting next to the TV and maybe a couple of stands around. But are these brands also being integrated into a ceiling or a wall? What they make is an amplifier that can power speakers that would be cut into the ceiling. Okay. Or maybe mounted on the wall in an alfresco. So, you know, we've got a lot of good speaker brands here in Australia or in the world. And, you know, people like the choice, but it's the ability to be able to power those speakers and then control it. You know, most of the speakers uh, that are, you know, have the amp built in, you could mount on a wall around the home but not as neat as having speakers flushed into the ceiling and having a really seamless sort of look i guess when you're integrating them into a house you're locking yourself into that level of technology is that true that as much as it might be more seamless it's a lot harder and a lot more expensive to upgrade in the future it's about the electronics so if you're clever where you run the speaker cabling for those speakers back to for example, if you have a, a theater room you know, with a traditional surround sound where you're going to have some sort of amplifier anyway, uh, and if you run maybe the living room speakers or our fresco speakers back to where there will be an amplifier, companies like Denon and Yamaha have the smart sort of systems built into their theater amps. So you could potentially use the one amp okay. to run your theater plus so the speakers. Those other speakers, speakers, correct. They're still doing the same job, they're still high quality. Correct. It's really about the technology back in that amp hub. That's right. You know, okay. used to be just an amp and a CD player with maybe a switching box and yep. you'd have to maybe with some volume controls around the walls, whereas now it's an amp that you can control via an app and there's not the same need to have the volume controls on the walls. Give me some price ranges for this. I'm guessing it can get super crazy. Certainly can. All your big brands, whether it be um, Sonos, um, Denon, uh, Den Yamaha, you know, you'd spend $1,000 or 900 to to $1,000 on an amp to run a pair of speakers mm. so not a not a cheap solution but if you've got a nice alfresco and know that you can just sit a speaker and it's, a, it's an area that you're using all the time and you just want to go out in the morning and have your morning coffee and turn on some music it's a very nice way of doing it you can buy theater amplifiers from eleven hundred dollars that have you know app control that can tie in with the other speakers and bars around the home so you know you're talking you know that sort of thousand dollar price point upwards for any smart amplifier just a simple setup yeah. And yeah. then? Uh, and then, well, look, it's then it's more about the amount of speakers you have around the home. If you had four pairs of in-ceiling speakers, you could be looking at $4,000 worth of amplifiers or you might want just one really big amplifier that can do your theatre and a number of speakers and, and that could be a three, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 exercise or more. Okay. Um, it's just about how big you want to scale the system. There are homes that would have 10, 15, 20 pairs of speakers around the home and you can imagine how quickly that does that up. Let's talk about the other side of the equation, visuals. Sure. Now, that's always changing. Every year, there seems to be a bigger TV with another brain cell, including something, some yeah. other function. I'm waiting for a dishwasher to be included in there. Yep. Uh, something yep. ridiculous that comes up, right? <laughs> so we've now got these TVs that are nearly computers themselves they're running you can go obviously go on youtube and all these different apps to doing their own things i've yes. never found them to be as functional as just going yeah. on your laptop or your, an ipad that you'd have on your chair next to you anyway yep seems like they're getting closer though where's the technology sitting at right now with these tvs and how good can it get what are the price points and how are they integrating into the audio side of things so obviously tvs are getting bigger and bigger every year and cheaper and cheaper things like netflix um so streaming video has become a, a standard into all of the tvs so video streaming services uh really important to people now so that's that's something you would expect to see in any good smart tv so you don't um, need the apple tv or something like that anymore it can just go through a lot of these new tvs directly yeah if you're, if you're just going to have a tv then yes you don't need an apple tv to to be able to integrate those services 
bit different if you were going to use a big theatre with a projector system because that's when you would have an Apple TV for those sort of services. Why? Um, so projectors are just a display. So you'd call them dumb in that sense. And they're reliant on smart products that you can use to watch those things. Perfect example. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So what would be the standard TV size these days? Is it in the 60s? 55 to 65 would be your common size now. Yeah. That's uh, a lot of people now, you know, the 75s are getting much, much cheaper and you can get 75-inch TVs for under 4,500 now, it's depending on the brand. Around. and you know, yeah. But, you know, your, your big name brands, your Samsungs and LGs and getting quite good price points. Well, what's the frontier um, right now? What, what sort of technology are we really looking at? I always find that TVs on the frontier seem to offer specs that, not even the movies are providing for, you know, this high, super high level of definition that aren't even being recorded by the cameras of the film companies at this point in time. Yeah, so a lot of the the big advancements for resolution are about quality of picture in a bigger size. So, you know, because, yes, the content's not there, you know, there's no... Sport. Yeah, sports, you know, it's more about how the content's recorded and then, you know, a broadcasted sport um, will never be the same as something that you can maybe view from a satellite service or it's not going to be an 8K streaming, you know, it's, no. just, it's just not there. What it is about is being able to sit closer to this big TV and not see the gap between the pixels. The ghosting. The motion, and that's why you spend more on a TV, it's how good is that little computer chip inside, how does it deal with scaling a low quality picture into a high quality picture that's not going to ghost and give you motion problems and make it an unwatchable picture. Now, are most of these new TVs at that high end, are they expecting that the consumer is also buying a separate audio system and therefore not building in such a good audio system into the TV? Uh, I, I, d- I don't know if the expectation's there because all of these companies will offer sound systems because you know, when you've got a, a big flash TV with a really slim bezel, there's only so much space to actually put a decent sound system. Very true. Uh, Sony uh, you know, in their sort of top-end TVs are building in quite good quality um, speakers into the system and you know, even putting subwoofer output connections on a TV so you could potentially use their speakers on the TV and then boost it up with a subwoofer for that extra bottom end. Yep. Still not as good as having a you know good dedicated sound system and um, a lot of people are hard of hearing and turn a TV up because they can't hear what's being said. But the issue is not always the volume, it's the quality of the actual speakers themselves. Okay. So that's where that sound bar sort of entered the market. You know, yeah, okay. Good cheaper Probably solution. In the older TVs, there was enough space for a sound bar in the TV and now it's just yes, not there anymore. It's just not there anymore. Okay. Yeah. What happened to 3D? <laughs> 3D was a bit of a phase, you know, it was something that um <laughs> a lot of people uh that you know, some people really enjoyed and would buy every 3D movie and loved putting the glasses on the experience. It ended up being something maybe to keep the kids entertained. I always saw it as being a bit of a, a fad, but something that would eventually, yeah. Do you think yeah. it will come back though? The technology, the reason it came out is as a service is because the technology allowed for it in the cinemas and everyone realized, oh, we can put glasses on and now it's 3D as well in the home. Do you think it will come back with when technology can catch up or do you just think consumers don't really want to see 3D images? I don't know if it will come back in the glasses sense. You know, I think you know, with the virtual reality sort of space and augmented reality and all those sort of technologies, I think it will be a, a TV that will eventually 
project more depth or um, have a different experience. Um, you know, people get annoyed with having to put glasses on. I want to be able to sit back and enjoy. So I see it as a, I see that as definitely a space. You know, so right now we're going through bigger TVs, higher resolution, 3D sort of has teetered off for the time being. But I think there'll be a different technology one day that will sort of be the buzz thing. The again. new 3D. Yeah, the new 3D. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about home theatres as a concept, as a full integration into a house. Sure. They can be as cheap as, you know, the TV with the sound bar and some curtains on the wall and yep. a nice big couch from Domain, but they can get super expensive, can't they? They can be leveled, beautiful couches, which obviously isn't really your space, but... Oh, it can be. We oh, do, good, yep, okay. Yep, yep, we saw we the nice couches. <laughs> okay, so, <yeah>. good. Because <laughs> I guess they can integrate into the technology as well, can't they? But we're talking really the lighting the projectors, the audio, the apps behind making this work. Yes. If you want yeah. to have a real mini cinema here, you you can do it. You, you certainly can. And what is it costing us to do that? What's involved? Uh, so, you know, designing the room correctly is very important for the sound. Looking at where the chairs will be, looking at the acoustics of a room. Soundproofing, right? More sound, sound treatment. Treating? Sound yeah. treatment. Yeah. So looking at how the sound will reflect putting treatments where those sort of first reflection points are and not having the couch as hard up against the back wall if possible because sound gets trapped against walls. Looking at if you have a, a large theatre room and stage seating, um, can everyone see the speakers at the front of the room? Because if you can't see them properly, you're not going to be able to hear them properly, which could mean putting you know, speakers behind an acoustically transparent screen, making sure that the subwoofers are positioned correctly so you get good coverage of the base in the room. So sound is... The most important it's so part. much more than just the products is what you're saying. There's a whole real conceptual uh, engineering of how to do this properly. There is. Yeah, there's a proper way of doing things. There's a way you can design things properly. Not every room is ideal though. So you sort of, you know, do your best with the space that you have. Find a middle ground. How, how um, big a room does it need to be? Obviously, builders normally provide a home theatre, three and a half by three and a half, three and a half by four metres, right? Sure. That's what a normal size is there. They're not really proper home theatres because there's normally an opening there, they're never sound treated properly. It's a space, I guess, that you could do what you want with. But for a real home cinema experience, what sort of square meterage do we need? I look, I, I look for rooms uh, maybe four by four. So things I look at, if someone wants a projector, three and a half meter room for me is the absolute cutoff. Otherwise, you might as well just put a big TV in the room. Because you need distance to create the square meterage of that screen right yeah correct and it's all it's all in relation you know when you go to the cinemas you know do you sit down at the very front or do you try and sit towards the middle or the back and that's because you want to be able to see the entire picture without moving you don't want to feel sick looking around (laughs) yeah Yeah. so you know that's sort of one decision when you're looking between projection and tv is how big the room is on a sound perspective a smaller room still doesn't mean you can't have proper theater sound it just means that you might need to you know you could put a smaller amplifier in you're not going to need the same amplifier to fill that space you might find that just a simple 5.1 system with a couple rear speakers is enough as opposed to a much bigger theater where you might go well if you need a couple speakers on the side walls or some on the side and some on the back to make sure everyone gets a good surround sound effect okay so you know design's important and uh but then more importantly is the control you know making a room easy to use um, because once if a room's not easy to use then people don't use it well tell us Um, about all this technology that you can have on is it a phone app is it a remote control is it a computer 
Uh, can be a, uh, almost all of the above. Could be a remote control, could be phone or a tablet. So we deal with a system called Control 4, which is an automation system, which can be used as um, simplistically as just a universal control for this room. So you can just pull out your phone or a tablet. And, lighting. Yep, lighting. Projector up, projector down. Yep, press yep. a watch button, which would turn on the projector, turn on the amplifier, turn on your set-top box, get everything set up um, so you can just pick what channel you want. You know, that same button might turn on or off certain lights in the room, set up a scene. So you can um, you can even get smart light switches uh, that can do the same. It's a mood Walk lighting. in the room, just yeah. pre- press, uh, press Apple TV if that's your favorite thing and it gets the whole room set up for that without even picking up a remote. Okay. Price? Uh, look, price of a good uh, universal controller... Fifteen hundred dollars upwards, but once you've got something like that in place, then you—that's a laptop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that also could then mean that you might then start to look at tying in your uh, other smart things in the house because that's sort of the basis for you know your automation controller. So you can go, well, I'm going to do my theater, but then, well, how about I tie in my security, or I might want to tie my cameras into the same app. So or, that's where it goes with you, right? That's, that's what your home, I'm guessing, is the smartest home in Perth. Uh, unfortunately, no, but I've got, <laughs> uh, but I, I do use, um, you know, iPad control for my sound system and I have got the cameras and yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a growing thing for me as well. <laughs> yeah. You geeked out on this stuff. You have but, to, yeah. right? I, mean, I think everyone in life needs to be a geek or a nerd at, you know, whatever word you want to use at what they love and what they, what their profession is. Otherwise they're I, not doing it properly. Oh, I love my sound. So I'm decked out on the theater system and uh-huh. I use a projector at home and I've got the one control. So, you know, I'm, obviously I can easily use it, which, um, but more importantly, my partner, she can easily um, turn things on and, Good. you know, not have to sort of pick up the five remote controls and try and figure it out. <laughs> so if I'm setting this home cinema, not theater, but home cinema up properly, yep. give me some price points as a whole bundle. Uh, so if you said what's the cheapest home cinema you've put together for a client at work uh, cheapest cinema if we're not talking cabinets and couches if we're just talking a, a projector a screen um, a sound system installed uh, you'd say five and a half installed okay as yep. sort of a, an entry point yep. if you're sort of living sort of upwards of 10 you know if you lived between say a uh, a fifteen to twenty thousand dollar price point, then you'd be starting to talk a, a custom cabinet that could have the speakers built in, projector um, that's not true four K but has some four um, four K scaling, so a very sharp picture, and potentially even that universal controller in there as well. So you've got a, a very complete solution. Yeah. What about if I want the full on? <coughs> my walls are painted black. The lights look like the stars in the night. The curtains come across. The seats are beautifully plushed and staged and. Uh, everything set up. How expensive a home cinema have you seen set up? I've seen two hundred thousand dollar systems set up. Oh, you know, I've, I've spent sort of one hundred and thirty thousand dollar systems. Yeah, you know, and that's where if you've got a very big space and it's going to be you know one hundred and sixty inch screen with speakers behind and subwoofers in the walls at the front and the back and custom couches that can cool your drinks. Um, you know, with lighting control integrated with proper automation. It's kind of just. How, far, how far do you want to yeah, go? How long's exactly. the piece of string? Yep. Um, how much do you love it? <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's cool. I think everyone's imaginations are just going nuts right now. Yeah. Uh, where do you think it's going? Is there any further we can push this or is it just now more of an incremental increase in technology over time with quality of sound and visuals so you know audio formats have uh, evolved over the years we've gone from just a basic two rear speakers as a 5.1 system we went to 7.1 and put some speakers on the back wall and then we started adding height effects so the biggest sort of thing over the last few years was something called dolby atmos 
Um, so rather than just having you know the speaker traveling around the room, we can now have it f- coming overhead, and it's a proper to reflect what's happening on the screen. Yeah, so you can actually hear a plane flying overhead or hear the rain coming down over you, which should be different to a, a car driving past you. So it's all about making you feel like you're part of that movie, mm. you know, sort of taking you away. So the um, you in it, yeah, yeah um, it's not the speakers that have changed in that sense, but it's the electronics and the formats that have changed and growing, and, and that's made its way into cinemas, which always starts in cinemas. And and then makes its way into the home, really. Now, this audio-visual entertainment segment, is there anything else we should tie this segment off with? Any other fun facts or pieces of information well, you'd like to share with the audience? A little bit back to the TVs. So you were talking about you know integrated and you know what the TVs can do. And you know Samsung's one that in their smart TVs are now starting to even talk to things like their smart washing machines. Um, oh, so, so I was on point when I said dishwasher and washing machines. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, yep, <laughs> Tell yep. us what they're doing there. Yeah, so let's say you put a load of washing on. You know, you're watching TV, you can have it send an alert to your TV when the actual washing machine's finished. So you don't forget. Right. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, I've done a, that many a time. That's why I'm laughing. Haven't we all? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it is becoming a more connected space where these smart devices from the different brands can talk to each other and try and help you know, make your life a little bit easier. Even to the point now where they are integrating things like some of the Apple TV services into these TVs and other commonly used sort of smart products. Um, well, so you got Google Chrome. Chrome, yes. Yeah, so they're building the Chromecast into some Often of the TVs now. Often I've seen now. TVs sold with that included. Yep, yep. So that's something they're building in now as opposed to having just a little separate uh, dongle that you plug in. Mm. So that space, it's all becoming more and more integrated every day. Andrew, yeah. we're probably way over time for this segment. It's been cool though. It's been fun. Thank you very much for chatting home audio and visual tech i think we'll have you in again soon to really wrap up that whole automation style of things is how we can put all this together into one controller yes yeah i hope yeah definitely awesome we'll chat soon then thanks today's suburb spotlight we are talking about the south of the river suburb adderdale it's a small one it's a niche suburb niche demographic Uh, we've got one person to talk to as always it's our number one agent for the suburb it's shabana patrick shabana thank you very much for coming in and chatting adderdale thanks for having me here trent good to be here shabana if you could categorize adderdale in one sentence what would it be it would just be pleasant living affordable pleasant living quiet life very quiet life but it is still offers a lot of amenities to the proximity of where we are which is the river the frio life the apple cross life how's the school zoning Uh, a lot of people in the suburb looking for that water life do they have water crafts are they heading out on the weekends in, in that sort of fun zone Yep, you've knocked that one on the head. It is predominantly, that is the main reason that people move into those kind of suburbs like the the Adderdale Applecross Enclave is they want to be close to the water, they want affordability, but the schooling and the access to so many private schools and really great private school public schools are exceptional. You said affordability. Now, obviously, we talk about a suburb like Applecross. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say affordability would come into the equation. Adderdale, probably the slightly cheaper cousin of Applecross. Can it be affordable? Can you buy in at an affordable level? We're going to talk about price points, but is it somewhere where you probably would be aspiring to as a second or third home, or do you see many people coming in as a first home? Look, you can define Adderdale in, in a number of different ways. It does offer that sub-500 affordability if you want to be on the fringes of Adderdale. There are units, there are you know definitely that first home owner affordability in Adderdale. But you find that Adderdale being a low-density suburb, once you get into the guts of Adderdale, you really are looking at that 
maybe the the second or the third homeowner we get a lot of people that step up into Adderdale from like say the Melville's Palmares just the fringes that's the, their the aspirational yeah. goals yes. so can you compare Adderdale for me to a couple of other suburbs one being Bicton and then the other being Alfred Cove okay Bicton, you could say it's comparable, but B- Bicton operates in a lot with a lot more volume than Adderdale would. Um, you know, once again, coming back to the fact that Bicton has a higher density zoning than Adderdale does. So, you know, you get a lot more communal living in, in Bicton than you would in, in Adderdale. But, you know, once you go, say, north of Preston Point Road in Bicton, you get a lot of phenomenally luxury homes. You know, I'm talking four and a half, five and a half million dollar properties. And yes, you do get that in Adderdale, but not to that extent. Because And also keep in mind, Adderdale doesn't turn over as much as Bicton does. So would Adderdale be a middle of the road example of or comparison to Bicton? Yes, definitely. And then Alfred Cove? Alfred Cove's tiny, isn't it? Alfred Cove's a very, very small suburb compared to, say, the Bicton or the the Apple Cross, which are the, the other two surrounding suburbs of Adderdale, Alfred Cove area. Alfred Cove is, is a little bit more affordable, I would say. You'll get a lot more bang for buck than you would with Adderdale. Tell me who's buying off you at the moment. Is it uh, f- mum and dad with a couple of kids and a golden retriever? Is it that 60-year-old coming in as their final aspirational house to say, look, I did it? Or is it young professionals, doctors, lawyers? How does it look? It, it has varied quite a bit. Our demographics have changed extensively. There is obviously, there's a lot of people that have been in Adderdale for a very long time. And there is an interesting phenomenon at the moment where a lot of them are downsizing from their excess-sized homes and don't have the offer in play in Adderdale at the moment because it is such a low density suburb. We don't have the the downsizers. The optionality. Coming. Yeah. Yes. So they do tend to move into, I would say, the Bigton, which probably does offer that, you know, downsizer home or Apple Cross, which is a little bit more expensive once again, or even Ardross. But um, more variety. A, a little bit more variety. Yeah. Now, the, the I would say the traditional market in Adderdale would be mom, dad, two kids they're coming in for the santa maria the aquinas the trinity life which gives access to those private schools and you know you can get a great four bed two and a half bath on an 800 square meter lot for about 1.2 1.3 which i don't see that in apple cross so it's the fairly well-off successful family at the peak of their power with the kids going through school yes yeah, great. Okay. And the people selling out, as you said, they're actually probably selling out of Adderdale because they don't have the options into the suburb next door to get that option, but still have the similar lifestyle. Yes. Interesting. All right. So let's get a bit more specific on price points. I'm not imagining that there are too many price points because as you've alluded to, we've only got a couple of options here in Adderdale. Uh, how cheap can it be? What would it look like? Look, I sold one for 365000 last year. And what's that? It's a two-bed unit that needed extensive overhauling. Close to the highway? Yes. Now, if we step up to the next level, what does that look like? What's the cost there? Okay, so if you if you step up into, like, say, a, a strata a complex of three, you could probably get that in the high 500s to early 600. So we've gone past the first home affordability now. Are these older strata units or are people still a little bit active in development in Adderdale? There's very little development in Adderdale. Mm, okay, yeah. so these are mainly older complexes that are sitting around the Preston Point Road, uh, Mooring Road precinct. 
Um, this is not the guts of Atterdale. This is the entry into Atterdale. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, now, I guess we're probably moving into the cheaper family homes, single story. Single story homes on a, uh, keep in mind, Adderdale, once you get into the standalone homes, we're talking 750 to 800 square meter, a lot of land. Yep. So you're looking now just sub million for a unrenovated four bed, two bath home. It is not, it does not give you the proximity to the river, but it is still, you're, you're in there. In, you're, you're probably in close to the primary school. Yes, you are. Yeah, okay. And then we start moving up into those aspirational homes that are less than 10 years old? Uh, very few less than 10-year homes in Adderdale have turned over. Adderdale is a predominantly 70s-released suburb. We haven't had many knockdowns? Um, we have, but they haven't turned over. Okay. Okay. Yep. There are a lot of very beautiful overhauling renovations that have been done. And once you get closer to that Stoneham Road, north of Witchman Road precinct, you're looking 1.4 for an older, renovated, move-in ready home. They're not, these are not new, but these are renovated. When I think about Witchman Road, it's straight through the guts of Adderdale, right next to the primary school. Is that really the archetypal property in Adderdale, if you could put it straight down the middle? Yes, yes. I mean, look, once there's another price level I'm talking about once you go north, north of Stoneham Road as well, right? And then there is the Burke Drive precinct. Hit us with those. So, you know, you're looking 1.5 plus for a something you would have to reno. So these are, you know, so you, you could very well end up being a $2 million buyer once you've overhauled and renovated. Is that mainly land value, that one and Le- a half mil for the quarter yeah. acre? Yeah. And then it just gets silly on Burke Drive, I yeah. guess. It, Burke Drive varies. You know, it depends on the center of Burke Drive where you're, you're seeing um, views, unrestricted views. You're looking maybe one nine to two for land. It used to be around 2.6, 2.7, yeah. maybe eight, nine years ago. I would see that coming back uh, quite a bit now. What's the most expensive property you've seen sold in Adderdale? There's one that has recently sold for 7.2 uh, or 7 million. Wow. There uh, you uh, go. Recently, very so, recently. So, you know, that's as expensive as anything could get in any suburb, really. When you think about most suburbs, that 7 mil is a Absolutely. is really a winner for, for the year in a lot of cases. So, shows really what it has to offer, but also an average demographic there. It, it is really an aspirational suburb. It's tightly held, small volume, high quality property from the start. You know, you're saying that these 70s houses were four by twos. That's a really high quality house back then. Most of them were three by ones and four by ones if they were lucky. So, clearly these were well-to-do people 40 years ago, let alone now. Mm, absolutely. Look, uh, what I found, what I, I found has changed, and 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 this is a, an experience I had right before the the GFC hit, and I sold a property on a quarter acre lot on Stoneham Road. This is this is the typical Atterdale home, and with the intent, the purchasers bought it to knock over, and they paid one point three nine land value. The property is still standing because you know you would have ended up being a two and a half, two point six, two point seven million dollar homeowner at the end of a new build. The property is still standing. Clearly the market came off quite a bit since then. And I would say um, it is definitely an aspiration suburb. You will get a lot more bang for buck than you would if your next option is Apple Cross. Or North Bicton. North of Bicton, yeah. Okay. I still think, you know, the lifestyle there with Adderdale Reserve, a dog precinct there, you've got, you know, popping onto the water it's just as good you got just as good views obviously you're facing the city as well right sure 
let's move on to subdivision. Now, I know that this isn't going to be a very big conversation, mm-hmm. but maybe we can talk about any corner lot development you've seen marketed in the suburb. Has there been any of that at all? There's a, a couple available right now. Look, these, are, these have been on the market for a while. Why? Overpriced. <laughs> Overpriced? No, Overpriced. fair enough, yeah. And there isn't a return on these right now. The, the last one that I sold was last year, and they are being developed right now. It was I, I sold it to a, a, a building company, and uh, they have uh, off the plan, they're, they're selling the, the three, the four units that they built. Okay. Uh, and the return on it wasn't probably what they expected that is probably the reason why a lot of those builders are not putting their hand up for these uh, these kind of propositions in Adderdale right now okay can you give us an idea of just what the general zoning is in Adderdale anyway and what the normal lot size would be Look, it really depends on how close you get to the, the highway end of uh, Adderdale. So once you come south of Wishman Road, there are a few options available around the R25, R40 code. But once you go north of Wishman Road, you really have very little development potential, except maybe on Bricknell Road, you might find a few on, around the, the R15, R40 code. I guess what they're doing there is strategically protecting the big expensive luxury side of Adderdale or the possibility for that yes. to make sure that that doesn't get increased density, hopefully providing some downsizer options to those people we were speaking about earlier yes. closer to amenities yes. on the highway. Yes. On the highway, when I look at intramaps, there doesn't seem to be a lot of commercial opportunities for local shops and a local hairdresser and all those sort of things. Where would someone be going if they were just getting in their gopher or just quickly nipping down to the shops, what would be the closest point there? There is quite a few within a, I would say, a two-minute drive. Now, there is a little hub in Mooring Road where there is, you know, some really great restaurant, uh, cafe-style hubs and some shops. Um, but the closest ones would be in, in Myeree. There is a, a great 24-hour IGA. Then there is the Canning Bridge development. Then there's quite a few in Applecross right now, which are literally only maybe five minutes away. Melville Plaza? Melville Plaza is a great option. Look, that's one of the shops that I frequent quite a bit. Um, there are a lot of, you know, family-based shops and grocery stores up until 9, 9 p.m. at night. So yeah. those, are, those are great options, yeah. Let's move on to our final question, Shabana. Median house price. What is it? And if you had that in your pocket today, what would you buy? Look, median price has varied quite substantially in Adderdale. I, I always tend to take median with the with a pinch of salt. Yeah, so um, do I. You know, we have ki- to look at something though, don't we? Right. But keep in mind, Adderdale is a very low-volume suburb. So we don't have the turnover that the, the Bigtons and the Apple Crosses have. So you can have some swings pretty easily. Very, very varied swings. Yep. So about uh, six months ago when I had my report out for the, the summer market, the, the median price came down to 920 and I'm the, from the latest release, it's come up to 1.15. <laughs> so <laughs> That's you know, a couple of properties that, either way, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what would you say would be your median? If you wanted to get a normal house and add it up, what are you paying for it? You, you're probably looking at about 1.1. And if you had that in your pocket cash today, Shubana Patrick, what would you buy? With a little bit more affordability, and this is something that I I can put a line through with buyers. You know, the, the more high-end properties have come off substantially more. So the bang for buck that I'm getting for my 1.3 is substantially greater 
than what I'm getting for my 1 to 1.1 because I find that I'm getting a lot more value with that. So I would probably, if I had the capacity to buy at 1.1, I would probably try and extend that out to a 1.15 to 1.2. What would you be buying? Where would it be? Would it be, hope would you be getting something north of Richmond? Yes, you could. And I, I would probably try and get up closer to Stoneham Road. Once again, I'm probably not going to get anywhere within the realms of that 1.2, but I will definitely look around very carefully to, to see what I can get for that value. And you can definitely get a full-size lot with a 4 by 2 on it for that price. Shabana Patrick, thank you very much for our really interesting and, and entertaining chat about Adderdale. I uh, hope to have you in again for some other suburbs. Try and grab uh, Bicton and Alfred Cove and Apple Cross for us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Trent. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!